Welcome back, folks, to episode 12, and happy Bike Month. It is Bay State Bike Month and National Bike Month. That's right, Bike Month is now officially back in May, where it's supposed to be. Uh, That doesn't mean there isn't going to be a lot of crazy things happening in September, like always, but May is kind of the kickoff season, especially around here. I wish it was a bit warmer, but we're getting there. Um, to all things biking all the time everywhere. So in bike news today, I will be sharing lots of different rides that are coming up um, and a couple of infrastructure wins. And then uh, for my friends on bikes eating dessert segment, I brought back Yari to talk about leading bike rides and taking away an air of mystery of thinking that you need to be an expert or something like that to lead a ride. You know, it comes up a lot. We need more community leaders. So, you know, leading a ride can be really fun and fulfilling and a great way to meet more people who ride bikes. Uh, Then diving into the deeper look, I sat down with Galen Mook, executive director of Mass Bike in honor of Bike Month to talk about a little bit his story growing up um, with bikes and how he became a community organizer And, uh, you know, we talk a bit about how you can get involved in Bike Month yourself. And then finally, I brought Yari back for a fun little game around leading rides. So I think you'll have a good time with that. Um, Very excited to uh, continue to bike more and more as the season goes on, as always. Um, And, you know, let's not... uh, delay any further let's jump into bike news bike news jumping into bike news today um one small thing you might have noticed i don't have my usual co-host with me today that's okay i still have a lot to cover so i wanted to make sure the segment still happened first uh, a quick recap on 30 days of biking so 30 days of biking is a situation situation. (laughs) It's a, uh, you know, personal event that happens every year around April where you try to ride every single day for 30 days. Because as many of you know, the best way to form a habit is to do it for 30 days straight. Confession time, I did not get on my bike all 30 days. Usually I do. I try to make a really strong effort. I will go out for just a mile in the evening um, just to, to, you know, get on my bike that day. Uh, I had some family stuff this month, so it wasn't quite possible. But I think my habit of riding my bike everywhere is pretty well solidified. So I made sure to, to post about it on Instagram. Um, I put it in, you know, like the recap stories at the top that you can look at. So you can see a bunch of photos of me riding my bike uh, throughout the month. So it was really fun. It's one of my favorite events every year. Um, next year, uh, I'm going to have to go back to my bet with Vivian to see 
which of us can actually ride our bikes for longer. <laughs> um, and I've actually extended my streak out into the summer until I flew on a plane to a wedding. And I, you know, and even then I rented a bike for a few days, but I couldn't hold it up after uh, traveling to another place. And, you know, I didn't have a bike with me. Um, maybe now that I have a folding bike, I can get my streaks going for longer times, but it's not the same as a run streak where you can just bring your pair of sneakers everywhere you go. But yeah, that is the recap of 30 days of riding. Hopefully all of you got out there and continue that into uh, the summer because it's going to be a beautiful year for riding. The next thing I want to cover is a couple of infrastructure wins, which is very exciting because I feel like we've been giving a lot of updates and they've been kind of sad. Um, but these are true wins for the community. And the first is the uh, Porter Square. We've talked about Porter Square a lot. Well, city council finally voted on whether or not they're going to delay the bike lanes and they are not. There will be no delay in installing bike lanes into Porter Square, which is very exciting news, uh, especially since it's an area, you know, with a ghost bike. Um, there was, you know, uh, someone killed while riding uh, several years ago at this point. I know I ride through there every so often. And it's it's not great. I tend to take the lane because the lane, the bike lane is too narrow. It's just, it's not a great situation. So I'm very excited that they are committing to it and that they didn't listen to the very loud, but very small contingency of people who are complaining about small businesses. Because personally, small businesses are, I shouldn't say personally, facts and statistics are on my side. I will put another article in my show notes um, that riding and or creating protected lanes, creating space for pedestrians, for bikes, for non-car vehicles is nothing but a boon for um, small businesses. So that'll be good. The other win that I wanted to talk about, it's kind of a minor win. I don't think anyone realized this was happening, but the they call it the Riverbend Park. Uh, when Memorial Drive closes in the summer, they were doing it on Sundays from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And honestly, 80% of the time I'd ride by, at least in the mornings, it wasn't even open yet. So I, I didn't get to enjoy it as much when I was going to and from places because that's my route to my sister's house. But this year, they are opening it Saturday and Sunday. And it turns out they're just leaving it closed overnight on Saturday. Um, makes perfect sense. It's a lot to ask someone to move signs four times in a weekend. So, you know, they open it up Saturday morning at 11 and they close it uh, Sunday night. Um, I think it's 7 p.m. Don't quote me on those hours. So look out at some point soon. I'm probably going to plan just like a little fun community thing where we go and ride late at night. I personally usually love sleeping that time of night, but I think it'd be really fun to be on Memorial at like 11 or 12 um, and just show people that, you know, safe spaces can exist any time of day. Um, and the people complaining about it, like there's no traffic at night. And they already, you know, they've been closing it for like 30 years during the day. So it's fine. Don't stop trying to make the excuse that emergency vehicles are the problem because they're not. 
Um, so that was very exciting. And I'm looking forward to riding on that more and more in the evenings on my commutes back for my sisters on the weekend. Um, that is my big infrastructure wins that I wanted to make sure I covered. The next thing I want to jump into is actually uh, highlighting a few rides. So I think we mentioned it, if I recall, in my conversations with Galen. Mass Bike, and I'm going to have the link in the show notes, Mass Bike has compiled a big old list of everything. They're up to like over 80 events um, in statewide in the state of Massachusetts of rides that are happening this year. Uh, they include a couple of rides that I'm doing. Um, the Ride for Black Lives is on there. Uh, my REI ride, things I'll talk about in just a second with you are all on there. Um, if you are running a ride or want to run a ride and want the community to know about it, you can also add rides to it. Uh, but, you know, it's barely, it's not, what is it? It's the, when this goes out, it'll be the 12th. There's still a lot of May left and there's still a lot of riding. Most of the rides are happening later, which is good because it's very windy and a little chilly right now. But we're going to have the most beautiful weather coming up. So enough preamble and rambling. Let's talk about a couple of rides that are coming up that I want to make sure get highlighted. First is happening this weekend. Uh, Yari is actually leading the Neighborhood Ride Series for the Boston Cyclist Union. They've done these in the past. First one is in Mattapan. It's the Mattapan Tour de Farms. And they will be meeting at 10.30 a.m. this Saturday, May 14th at the Mass Audubon's Boston Nature Center and Wildlife Sanctuary. Uh, again, I'll have these on the show notes so you can find everything. Um, next uh, that I want to make sure gets mentioned is my REI ride. Um, Yari and I will talk about it uh, in our segment later, but that is happening May 20th. At the moment, we are full up with our RSVPs. Since I spoke to Yari, we have maxed out on how many people we can have at the ride. However, we will be making sure everybody updates their RSVPs the week of. And if any spaces open up, we'll be sure to let the community know. And we're doing it again in June. So I think it's June 23rd. That information will be coming out shortly. So we'll be talking more about that. Um, but that is at the REI Fenway that is sponsored by REIs. So I'm very excited to be doing that with them. In addition to my ride with REI, I also want to point out, and I'm saying also a lot today, um, that REI is running its own big bike month. Um, they're not specifically calling it bike month because it runs through the end of June, but but big biking event. They're calling it Boston Pedals Together. Again, link in show notes. Um, and it includes a lot of really cool things like working with Bikes Not Bombs on a bike drive that's going to be happening also this weekend, Saturday, May 14th. Um, and that is all about you know, stopping by at an REI to drop off a bike that you want to donate so that they can give it back to Bikes Not Bombs. Um, they're doing a virtual bike maintenance workshop next week on May 18th. They're going to be having pop-up shops um, and, you know, talking about e-bikes. They're really trying to get super involved. They're also, you know, the Boston Pedals Together. That is what our uh, Sunset Cycling Ride Series is coming through. So you'll see that on the homepage. Um, but, you know, definitely trying to establish them the, themselves a little bit more in the Boston biking community. So definitely check out all the stuff that is happening there as well. 
Um, another ride that I want to make sure gets mentioned. Uh, actually, it's not a ride. It's the bike and movie. Um, again, this is a, I think Boston Cyclist Union is doing bike and movie night at Christian Herder Park. It's right in Alston. I will be there. That is Wednesday, May 18th at 6 p.m. And they're going to be showing um, the women ride at night film that came out as well as I think Gabriel's um uh uh messenger video that um he did uh, and that that will have lots of fun things including a trike called funk which should be really cool they put together kind of a tricycle that they play music with um and that's a very good time so that should be an exciting event and I will be there if you want to come hang out with me um that is, let's see, the sun. So I already talked about the Sunset Cycling Series sponsored by REI. That is my ride on May 20th. The last ride that I want to make sure, the last, last ride, I said that, I think I said that a couple of times. The last ride I really want to make sure gets shouted out in, in May is the ride for Black Lives. We already have our save the date out there. Um, we're still coordinating on what the event is going to be focused on. Um, originally, we wanted to talk about uh, the black and brown refugee crisis and the disparity that's happening with um, how the media and how the world in general treats white refugees versus black and brown refugees, Syrian refugees, you know, anyone who's not a white refugee, uh, the refugees coming out of Ukraine. Of course, anyone who's been, you know, fleeing their country due to war uh, should be welcome in another place. I do not disagree with that, but we wanted to shine a light on making sure that everybody's finding a home, that there's equity in the process. Um, and it's not really getting talked about a lot. However, we've also just had a major bomb dropped. Now, keeping in mind, that I think at least most women were very aware that this was a likelihood to happen, especially after, um, the last, uh, nomination for oh, Supreme Court when we became a conservative supermajority. But um, the latest draft opinion about overturning Roe v. Wade means that uh, abortion rights for women in the country, um, potentially even in Massachusetts, if they decide that they want to do some sort of federal ban, is... A real reality, it's going to be a problem for a lot of women. Abortion access is health care. It is a right that someone should have. You have you, women, um, you know, women or people with uteruses, as I should say, have a right to choose how they treat their own bodies. They are not vessels for other people. So, you know, we're, we're probably going to talk about one of those two things. Um, we're looking for speakers right now. If you, you know, have thoughts on organizations, feel free to reach out because we're always looking for help. Um, but both of these things are very present in our minds and we want to make sure that we're supporting and giving back to our community. So I don't think I actually said when the ride is happening. It is happening May 28th. That is Memorial Day weekend. So apologies if you are traveling. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we still had our ride in May and that we were talking about something really important. So, whew, okay, that was kind of a lot. Um, 
but I wanted to make sure that all of this stuff got out and it's all very important to me. Um, and I think those are all of the May ones that I really wanted to highlight. Again, there is a ton of stuff happening right now. So make sure to look at that list, pay attention to what's happening online. People are posting left and right about rides that are happening. And then um, one other ride, or actually two other rides that I just want to give a shout out. They're actually happening in June, but I want to make sure to get shouted out ahead of time. The first one is um, the Bedford Star Chasers. They actually reached out to me. Um, they were part of, they get a shout out in my conversation with Galen. Uh, they are the New Bedford version of Skull. So it's the the tall bikes, freak bikes, stuff like that. Um, the community there is running a ride called uh, 20 Miles Squared. I apologize if that's not actually how you say it, but that's how I'm reading it. Um, so cycle 20 miles squared is in, uh, this is an invitation to pedal around New Bedford, Massachusetts. Again, I just talked about this with Galen. You'll hear us talk about it in our conversation. It sounds like an absolutely gorgeous place to ride. So this is a really great opportunity to be able to go there and cycle around. Uh, they're calling it part alley cat ride, part community outing. Um, it is happening uh, excuse me while I read through all the things. I might cut this little spot out. Uh, da -da. The ride is happening June 9th through the 11th. So I wanted to give it a shout out now. I'll probably shout it out one more time next time. Um, just to give people enough heads up. Uh, that is Thursday, Friday, and a Saturday. You do not have to ride every day, but there will be rides available every day that go through all of the different places uh, is not an athletic event. This is more of a party on wheels and participants who register for group tours are encouraged to dress in imaginative outfits and plan to spend several hours engaged in playful antics. So it's really going to be um, all around just a fun, very full event. So I will have a link to where you can register to sign up for that. But it, it sounds really cool. And if I can fit it into my schedule, I do want to make it down there for a day myself because I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, the last event that I want to make sure gets a brief shout out because again, it's happening early June is also the Kitty Knox ride. Uh, I hinted that this was Coming up sometime soon when I talk to Leandrew, uh, Mass Bike is doing a Kitty Knox ride. The Kitty Knox ride is uh, happening on June 5th, and this is going to be in Boston. Mass Bike is partnering with um, the New England Cycling Coalition for Diversity, which popped up in the last couple of years. There's going to be a couple of different routes, 16 miles, 23 miles, and 35 miles that take you to all different places throughout Kitty Knox's life. So it'd be really great. You'll get a little bit of history. You get to see some of the landmarks dedicated to her, including things like where she's buried nearby. Um, there's a Kitty Knox alley in... Uh, I want to say, yeah, it's in uh, Kendall Square, like the Kendall Square area. Um, so that will be really interesting. You can learn a lot about her life while you go. Um, and those are the big things I wanted to make sure got highlighted. Um, I've been talking a lot solo, so I'm going to stop now. Um, but again, if you have a ride that's coming up in 
you know, sometime uh, before the next two weeks. So my next episode will be coming out two Thursdays from now. So if you have a ride you want me to shout out, feel free to reach out on social, on Instagram, at Randonista. Um, and in general, keep a lookout. Uh, places like the Boston Cyclist Union, um, Women on Wheels, Mass Bikes Giant List. All of these places are constantly posting about rides that are happening. The Boston uh, Bike Party community page, and people tend to talk about their rides there. Okay, so enough of me solo. Let's get into it. Welcome to Friends on Bikes Eating Dessert. Uh, my guest today is going to be talking with me about leading bike rides and her experience doing so. I think um, a lot of people end up thinking that only certain types of people can lead a ride or you have to have a certain amount of experience to lead a ride. And so we want to kind of dispel that myth a bit today. Um, so on the podcast with me is Yari. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for having me today. I'm excited to be here and just help any way I can with this conversation. Yeah. So I, I thought it'd be nice to have a little chat because um, some people may remember back on episode two when Yari was our guest that you just started leading rides like two years ago because we're in 2022 already. Um, yeah, so, so uh, Tell yeah, me about that. I started my, my very first ride was August of 2020 and, uh, very, you know, like informal, uh, training. I just wanted to get more women on bikes because I just didn't see that enough. Uh, a lot of people were asking to join the smaller group rides that I was doing with like closer friends. Um, it was more co-ed like both men and women. And so I posted a ride on Instagram and we had 68 women show up. To this ride and so from that ride I learned a lot um mm -hmm. though we were in a trail we were at the Miniment trail so it was very different um than you know sharing the road with with uh with other vehicles so but you know as I kept doing it more often that year I just kept learning okay so what are the do's and don'ts of leading a ride and <laughs> so yeah so I'm, I'm happy to talk more about that but yes 2020 was my very first ride it was nerve-wracking um, but, but yeah, you don't have to be a professional, like cyclist to do this. It's yeah. And we talked about this before you rode, you know, growing up in Puerto Rico, but you, you'd only been kind of road riding for a few years as well. Right. Yeah. So I, I got my first, uh, my first, obviously I started cycling when I was six years old, as I mentioned mm -hmm. before, but, uh, road cycling, I started in 2019. Yeah. So I was more so using my bike to commute to school and work. Um, and then, you know, just started group riding. And from there on, I, you know, I had a really crappy bike. Can we swear in this podcast? I don't know. Sure, go for it. Uh, okay, it was a very shitty bike. I had a, <laughs> <laughs> I had a mountain bike and I was, I was going on really long rides with it um, and like exhausting myself, but also more like challenging my body. Mm -hmm. Um it was a Huffy and that was, <laughs> that was my first bike. Uh, I got it at Walmart. And from there on, you know, during the pandemic, I was like, I need to upgrade. So I went on Facebook marketplace and I found my uh, 2015 Fuji bike. I have now the red one. It's a road bike, brand new dude, just didn't use it at all. Mm -hmm. It was in his garage and I, it's now my baby. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I started cycling since like road cycling with a real legitimate road bike since 2020. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's kind of the, the, you know, point that I'm getting to, of course, uh, it's just the fact that anyone can do it. I mean, when I started leading rides, it was, I think I'd been road cycling, road riding for a couple of years, maybe two or three years. My sister brought me in and, and gave me her old bike and said, um, you're going to start doing this activity with me after I graduate college. And I was like, uh, okay. And so, (laughs) so uh, we'd been riding for a few years and she then had her first kid and was really busy and wasn't riding with me as much. And I just had this moment where I was like, man, I want more riding friends. And so I went to my local nonprofit and was like, Hey, can I lead a ride? And they were like, Oh my God. Yes, of course. Please. Like <laughs> want you. Yes. <laughs> and so I went to common wheels. I led a, a ride. What was the first ride I did? I think the first ride I did was, um, uh, apple picking. Cause I really wanted, and the irony is if anyone knows me now, I have like my touring bike with all things I could carry all this stuff. I carry a lot of weight usually with between like trailers and whatever I'm doing. But at the time, like I just had my road bike. And so I didn't carry anything. I just wanted to go apple picking. I didn't actually bring any apples home. We all hung out and I like had some drinks together and everything. It was really fun, but I you know, planned this whole activity and brought all these people, but it was the same thing. I'd only been riding for a few years. I just wanted friends. So I brought other yeah, people same. with me. Exactly. <laughs> what a good company, you know, like, um, it's so similar to you. It's not like, I, I haven't, I'm, I don't consider myself a pro at doing this. So it, I, I just kind of like bringing people together. And I'm like that in general, like my circle of friends, typically I'm the one who's always leading or, or like organizing something for us to get together. Right. So like, whether it's a restaurant, I'll make reservations or if we travel, you're like, a planner, I'm the planner. Right. So yeah. like, I, I would consider myself that more than an actual like bike ride organizer, because yeah. I just, I just like bringing community together, you know? What I mean? Yeah. Um, so thinking back to that first ride, like, what do you wish you'd known already to like make that ride more fun for oh, you? <laughs> I wish, oh my God, I have so much, but I, first I have to say, like, the first thing I learned is definitely like, I wish I knew, you know, th- all of the different types of bikes that there are, that mm-hmm. are out there. Right. And so keeping in mind that with distance and where we're riding really matters on the type of bike that you're going to bring. So like a lot of people had, I'm talking about all types of bikes, like mm-hmm. whichever bike they can get a hold of that was in their basement. They borrow people's bikes. Even if they didn't have a bike, they, they got blue bikes. They got road bikes. They got mountain bikes. They got, they just really wanted bikes. to come out. I love it. It. Was, it was 2020. People were just tired of being home. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting DMs from like moms too. They're like, I just kind of like, I'm like sick of being home with my kids. Like, I just want to go out for a ride and it's <laughs> fun. So I'm going to join. And it was a really nice day out, you know? Um, so, but when I tell you that day, I saw a variety of different bikes. And then also me realizing that not everyone has the same level of endurance. So like there were beginner people and there were intermediate people and people that want to go really fast, right? Folks that have been riding for a while. And in my first ride, I didn't really make that clear. It was just a bike ride. And it was the minimum trail. Uh, we did 19 miles in total, right? So mm-hmm. for us, like for you and I, you know that we can do that kind of, you know, very fairly easy. Folks that are beginners, even five miles sounds like a lot. 
Mm-hmm. So we did get a lot of people get, you know, dropped that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but, but the good thing about that, it's like, it was on a trail. It's safe. It's just one way, one way in and one way out. Right. So like, if you were to get dropped, you can just simply turn around and go back to the, to where we met, which is Alewife station. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody parked around there. So it was, it was, it was, you know, easy. There was no, like, we didn't need marshals or anything. Um, but yeah, all that to say, I wish I knew that, you know, like ahead of time that people's, um, levels of riding, it, you know, varies and it's very different. Um, so for me, I've, in 2020, I had been riding for a while. 19 miles was nothing to some mm-hmm. girls are like, I don't know how I'm going to do 19 miles, but I'm going to do it. And they did it. Others were only did 10 and they turn around, but they were still happy and wanted to come to the next one to continue practicing. So that was yeah. the whole point of women on wheels and how it started. It was just to motivate people to get that like number out of their mind. Like, Hey, it's mm-hmm. 19 miles running is very different than riding. Oh my goodness. So much. Right? So, um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a really good one. Um, and if we want to give our first like official piece of advice, it would be to set clear expectations up front, yeah. but understand. And I was, you know, just flipping through random articles that was like how to, how to lead a bike ride, essentially just seeing what articles said. And one of them made a really good point of saying, you know, yes, you have to have clear expectations to the point, you know, depending on the type of ride you're doing, is this going to be a speedier ride in which you should be telling everyone to bring some sort of road bike or road equivalent bike, or, you know, is this going to be a leisurely, no drop, whatever the case may be, but there's also a certain amount of sometimes questioning that you might want to do with a rider. If they're, you know, if you're not sure what their level is and you can kind of, you know, Oh, how long have you been riding? What distances do you normally go? And kind of like suss it out that way, which I thought was interesting. Just like chatting with them matters, right? Like for people get intimidated at the speed. And so do I, Mm -hmm. I if you tell me, I, I just learned about a new group in Newton. They're more geared towards like women who, who race and I'm going to join it pretty soon, but like their pace is like 20 miles per hour. And like, Ooh, that scares me. Right. Too. <laughs> and that's scary, but I'm going to do it because I was there at one point, like where I was like doing 10 miles per hour and not beyond that. And then you, uh, the more you ride, you, your level of endurance increases and you get better at it. Right. So I guess every time I do a ride now, I make sure to even put it on the flyer or the caption, like the, the, it's going to be an intermediate ride and intermediate means this speed, right? So between, Mm -hmm. between 12 and 15 miles per hour. So that was the ride that we did this past Sunday and everyone kept up. It was, it was perfect. Like everyone kept the pace. Oh, I love that. I think part of that too, is probably the coaching in the the text chat of what people can expect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I, you know, for beginners, I really would say like, if, if you're a beginner and you haven't written a bike in a while, I just, I just wouldn't have them do a ride that's more than 10 miles in one day, because it, mm-hmm. again, it, it is a little challenging, you know, we're doing one, um, but it's not, it might not be, be a beginner, but anyways, all, all I, I learned that setting expectations prior to a ride to make sure that people know <clears throat> like the, the, uh, speed and the the distance that we're riding that day. It's really important. Yeah, I think so. The, the next point I want to get to here is thinking about how 
like inviting your group is when they get there. I think for like the women on wheels rides, you have this great mix of people. So someone might seem, might feel a little intimidated at first, but I feel like that's a really good group of people to be riding with. But this is something I really took to heart early on in my experience of leading rides is that, um, you know, depending on the type of ride, like I actually dress down a little bit. I have my full cycling kits that I love to wear and they're very comfortable, but sometimes when I lead like a community ride, especially something that's not going to be like an intermediate pace, I just wear like a t-shirt or I wear shorts or whatever the case may be so that I look less intimidating. Um, but I wanted to read this, um, this one quote real quick from this woman who wrote a, (laughs) she wrote a, blog that basically says how to lead a group bike ride that doesn't suck for beginners, which I thought was such a good way to phrase it. (laughs) And she basically said, you know, I I had just signed up for my first triathlon and I went to this training and it was known for being a beginner focused program. Uh, but she ended up getting put on this team with a bunch of seasoned vets, people who were training for half Ironman, um, and then looking to go to full Ironman, which if you don't know what a full Ironman is, that is a marathon a full century bike ride and further swimming than I would care to ever do. It's a very, very long and grueling event. This woman was signed up for an Olympic distance triathlon, which was much, much, much shorter riding her hybrid bike. And she showed up wearing a t-shirt and Nike running shorts. And she felt so out of place to the point where she almost put her bike back in the car because she was getting out and everybody's got their matching spandex. Uh, they're pulling out their expensive bikes, their shoes, their fancy sunglasses and all the other things. And so she just felt really awkward. And it wasn't until this woman came up to her and just started chatting with her and, you know, asking her, you know, introduced herself, asked her about herself and, and that's really what brought her in. And I thought that was such an important thing. Like we talk a lot about your experience and, and your ability to ride and your technical ability to ride and all these things, but sometimes it's just the human connection, like just yeah. connect with the people who come to your ride so They don't feel out of place. I, I think, uh, man, you saying that I kind of like felt that like feeling that she described because mm-hmm. I have been. I guess like shamed over things in cycling, right? Like, like having the expect expensive bikes and like uh, cycling shoes and like Mm -hmm. the jerseys and all of this that I didn't have in 2020 when I started riding or in 2019. Um, And I'm getting into now, but like cycling is really expensive. Mm -hmm. Like it's expensive and it's like, not everyone's going to have access to these things. Right. And it's okay. You can still ride with us. Like, I don't expect exactly. everyone to have, like, the most fanciest bikes ever. Like, you come to our rides and, like, people are wearing normal, normal things, right? And, like, you don't have to have, I don't know. I just, I'm not the type of person that's, like, I'm, I'm not going to shame you if you don't have a bib on. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to shame you if you don't have, like, cycling shoes and, like, you know, like, the pet, the right pedals in your bike. Yeah. I just feel like it's, again, it's, it's a, it's a cultural thing that in, in the cycling, um, and that like environment. And I really want to break that. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> again, I yeah. felt that before I've been, I've been made fun of for having a, <laughs> for having a, um, oh my God, what do you call it? Like to, uh, the thing in your bike to make it stand a, a kickstand. Oh, a kickstand. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, that is so uncool. I'm like, Ugh. I'm always going to have a kickstand. I really don't care what anybody says. Like 
I'm, I guess it's an Aries thing. Like you can clown me and I, I will be like, okay, sh- you know, shoulder shrug. But all, all that to say is like, I, I want to make my, my community inclusive of like, it doesn't matter what you have, just come and try it out. And if mm-hmm. it's not for you, because you tried it and you really get exhausted and you don't like it, then it's fine. But at least you tried it, but I'm not going to shame you for having, for not having all of these things that you know people in the cycling industry require to have for you to have to be considered a real cyclist like no right. that's not not wheels exactly and that's what i love about that community but that just in general think about those types of things like how you're presenting yourself could be intimidating to someone that you're trying to welcome into your ride so um we only have a few minutes left uh so i i want to wrap up with you know piece of advice. It can be more specific to like how you run the ride or more general, like being inviting, which is a good thing to do. Um, but what is, what's your last piece of advice that you would give for leading a ride? Um, just be, just be welcoming to people. Like, like, I I feel like women on wheels has been very organic and like, I don't know. I, I don't like to portray myself to be like this, like it's a company, you know, where people come and ride. It's, you know, no, it's a community. And like, and we all represent the brand, right? Like all the people that ride together, all the women that have joined the the community are women on wheels. Right. So like Mm -hmm. just being inviting and, 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 and welcoming with open arms and like friendly and you, and you've seen Laura, like we have all kind of bonded through riding indoors and outdoors mm-hmm. and we talk about you know ourselves our lives we get to know one another on a deeper level and like there are real friendships that have grown out of women on wheels and I think that is part of the thing that I love the most about what I've started mm-hmm. it's bringing in people together through cycling mm-hmm. right so yeah my only piece of advice is like bringing these folks together and like, let's just, let's just hang out and be friends. Good vibes, you know, like play music, whatever music yeah. is that you listen to and be yourself. That's yeah. really, I like, I like the be yourself part. I am going to give a couple of more technical pieces of advice yeah, as we round it, it up. <laughs> <laughs> I like both sides. We need both sides to be perfectly honest, but my technical pieces of advice, I'm going to give two Um, that I was just thinking about, I made some notes here. The first one, if you are leading a ride, uh, you know, we're talking about like, everyone can do this. This is really great. You do need to be prepared. If you are inviting people to come to your event and they're not just your closest friends, ride that route at least once beforehand, know where you're going, know what's going on. Things happen. Construction pops up. There are things that you can't account for, but make sure you have a really good understanding because the last thing you want to do, and I've been there, I've done this, is have a group of people who are relying on you. They might not know where they are in the world because they've been following you for however many miles out into the suburbs. And you have to stop and look at a map because you're like, oh no, I don't remember what we're doing here, where we're going. Oh no, I missed my turn. So that would be one piece of advice is just kind of know your route. No one's perfect. Uh, you know, you don't have to know it inside and out, but that was a good one for me. And then another one, this is really minor, but it's something that I think about and I see it happen sometimes on roads that on uh, routes that I do 
where I'm like not leading when you're riding and someone falls off the back, mm-hmm. don't stop on a downhill to wait for them. Even if it's like slight, it's just in a, I should rephrase that. It's not an obvious downhill because no one really does that. But, um, you know, in a place where you've gained a lot of momentum and you're really cruising mm-hmm. and then you come around the corner and all of a sudden you see the group stopped in front of you and you have to stop all of your momentum. That's a bummer. It's oh my okay God. to yeah. stop at the next corner. Um, okay. So when you are leading, especially out in the suburbs and you're leading a ride, this is so specific. And I'm sorry, but I just needed to say this. Like every time you come to a turn, that's when you want to make sure you have the whole group with you and that everybody knows that you're turning. But if you're just going straight, it's okay to just get to that next turn or get to a stop sign or get to whatever the next thing is. So you're not killing people's momentum as they're either trying to catch up to you or they're just cruising along with their day. It's, it's okay if the group is not a hundred percent together, especially in like more suburban areas. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That does not apply for downtown Boston riding, but if you're going to take a group out into the world, it's also, I I think it's what I find really helpful is by having a sweeper too. Mm, Yes. The sweeper. I know that it's probably, it's probably one of those jobs that like nobody really wants to take on. (laughs) Obviously they're waiting on, on folks to kind of like, you know, like push them onto the, the, like and stay together with the crowd. Mm -hmm. But, um, having a sweeper kind of like ensures the leader. Like when I look back and I see the sweeper mm-hmm. that the group is completely together. Yes. You know, so like, I think that that's been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also so for like, people listening, the sweeper, the sweep is just your last person who's always last, no matter what they stay behind the slowest rider. Yeah. They call it sweeper. Cause they're, you're like sweeping people yep, together. Exactly. You know, like, like a broom, but yep. yeah. um I I I in the nicest possible sense yeah (laughs) it's just keeping keeping the 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 pack together Mm -hmm. um I'm I'm gonna admit I'm not like I'm not the biggest fan of like an extremely large amount of people in one ride because it's hard to coordinate for me. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced this, Laura, like if you have hundreds of people, how do you, you, you can't expect, unless you have a walkie talkie, you're not going to know where the sweeper is. And if anybody drops, you know, so it's hard to track as a leader mm-hmm. as being in the front. But like, if, like you mentioned, if you do a suburban ride with like, I don't know, let's say 30 people, it's way easier because mm-hmm. you look back, the back is together this past weekend. We have, I want to say like a little over 50 riders mm-hmm. and like everyone kept up. It was easy. It was, I loved it. It, it was, it couldn't have been perfect, more perfect than that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bike marshals and yeah, it just worked out. Yeah. Bike party. That was always tough. Cause in the front, you couldn't always tell if the back was with you. Right. And sometimes they get caught at like a light or something. Usually we tried to go through intersections together, but if you like hit a hill and people dropped off the back every once in a while, you'd find out that you'd like lost someone and you'd feel yeah. really bad it about it. Up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So- um, but anyway, I think that's all wonderful advice. Very true about leading rides. Um, Gary, thanks so much for doing this with me. She'll be on the pod in a couple of sections uh, to come play the game with us, but thank you for coming and doing this. No, thank you for having me again. I appreciate you. And thank you for being part of this community. We all seriously love you. 
<laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I do have one more question though. Sure. And that is what is your favorite type of dessert? My favorite dessert, um, I would say, um, tiramisu. Tiramisu. Okay. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that for later. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Alrighty. Take care. All right. (sighs) Galen, we did it. Welcome everyone. My deeper look today. Uh, I have on, uh, the first voice other than my own that you heard on the podcast, Galen came and guest hosted with me for podcast number one. And now for podcast number 12, Whoa. I brought him back to come chat with us for a little bit because this week, technically yesterday, as of the recording, uh, has officially become bike month. And there's so much happening. Galen uh, is the executive director of Mass Bike, amongst other things. I'll let him introduce himself in a moment. But thank you for being on the show with me today. Awesome. Laura, thanks so much for having me. As always, happy to collaborate with you on all of the bike advocacy and just general fun that we have out here. Yeah. Um, Well, to kick us off, tell us a little bit about who you are and and everything you do in the bike community. That could take up our full 20 minutes right there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you might be a little more focused than that. Um, I don't know. I'm just a guy who likes to ride my bike around Alston. Um, let's see. I I want my biking environment and uh, experience to be as fun and safe and encouraging as possible. And I think that if that can be achieved for me, it could probably be achieved for everybody. So my goal is rather than just to like, do it for me. I'm going to try to like get everybody some bike lanes and then mm-hmm. I'm going to win and, and be able to get some bike paths and some bike lanes that I get to ride in. So my journey to here is basically a totally selfish one because I just <laughs> want to be able to just like enjoy riding my bike um, as much as possible. So um, yeah. So, so thanks for being on this, uh, this, this scheme with me, but um, in work and as a career, I basically have built, um, I don't know, better part of, 15 plus years, maybe more of trying to get better biking in Boston area. And for the past four years have scaled up to be working statewide to run a nonprofit called Mass Bike, the Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition, which focuses on basically wherever we can get policies, legislation, funding mechanisms, like the big picture stuff to play out in everybody's individual riding. I want those mechanisms to be as robust as friction-free, as accessible as possible, um, and to find opportunities for better biking, like basically that are like steering the big one big decision or a few big decisions that brings better biking for the next 30 or 40 years all across the Commonwealth. Let's go for that. So Mass Bike is focusing on some of the big picture stuff, um, but because we're a coalition, I definitely want to give, honestly, like our work is in concert and in partnership with all of the local work. So everybody who's tuning in, you know, if you've got like a local bike group or a local friends of trails group or a local bike ped advocacy organization, or heck, even just your like neighborhood club ride or whatever, like you are all doing the grunt work that like, I hope that mass bike can tap into and support. And then we can kind of like operate on the grass tops at mass bike. And you could operate at the grass roots where you are. And then, 
we really kind of make this whole systems change and culture change and you know hopefully prevent climate change um <laughs> from really happening so i like that's, I'll, that's <laughs> i like grass tops that's a nice nice uh, turn mm-hmm. of phrase if you will um but i know you grew up in a planned community is that they call it um tell us a little yeah. bit of what that was like yeah so interesting so for those who might know me in the boston area i've been here for like I think 20 years, I'm going on my, this coming year will be my 20th year in the area. Um, but I grew up in Northern Virginia, which, you know, 15 miles outside DC in a relatively suburban, exurban type of environment um, in the eighties and the nineties, which during that time was like boom town. It was like boomville, DC exurbs exploding. It was like when globalization was really like locking into place and all those countries that we've been overthrowing for the past 60 or 70 years are finally paying off. Um, and I don't mean that in a good way, but, um, I was able to see like, kind of like the evil of sprawl, like subsume all the available land that were once farmlands in Northern Virginia, except my town, which wasn't even really a town. It's it's actually an unincorporated spit of land in Fairfax County, Virginia called Reston. And Reston was the first of the new wave planned communities that started in like 1958, 59, 1960. Um, And this was a concept that was basically, you know, you get a big plot of land, whether it's like an investment or, uh, you know, uh, an incorporated municipality or whatever it might end up being, but it's built with intentionality that is built that's on a scalable model. Even if you're starting from like, you know, couple hundred houses that you want to think of what we're going to scale up to be several thousand or a hundred thousand and how you can actually incorporate residents and um, retail and office and industry, but then also incorporate the ecology, uh, the utilities, um, and and in a way where you start from zero, but you're already planned for like the several thousand. So, you know, almost the complete opposite of what New England. Boston? Oh yeah, yeah all like of New England. Has, yeah, which was just like, oh, we'll see what happens when you plant, you know, a house there and, you know, then we'll have some cow paths and those cow paths will turn eventually into roads and those roads eventually turn to highways. And nobody was thinking when they were like, oh, this is a cow path that'll go to the town common. That, oh, we're going to need eight lanes there one day. Like that is not a concept that is in anybody's minds here. But I actually grew up in a, in a town um, that, you know, was, you know, four decades into locking that into place because it was founded in 1960, 1961 in Reston, literally was just cow pastures. They started by digging a man-made lake and and putting in some houses and some retail and like a shopping center and a community center and all the basics. Um, And then, you know, three or four decades later, when the time I came around, I was growing up as a kid and it really kind of was a wonderful place to actually live as a human because when they started to plan this town, they actually built it around a couple of, uh, well, seven or so principles of Reston. And I won't go into all of them because this is a short oh, podcast. It's but, a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but a few of the, the principles that were like literally founded in 1960, 1961, that still hold true today, even in the 2020s, are that, you know, a few of them. So one of them is, if you can imagine the issues that we're facing with gentrification and people getting priced out of housing, people getting priced out of their neighborhoods. One of the tenets of Reston is that somebody should be able to go through different stages of their life and not have to leave their community. And that is from a lot of things in terms of like resources and recreation and 
and retail, et cetera, but also in terms of housing stock. So when Reston was formed, you know, they decided that they were going to build the apartments in the same community almost next door to where the townhouses are, in the same community right next door to where the single families are. So that if somebody's going up or down or aging out of stages of life, et cetera, they don't need to literally like leave their geographic community. Um, and that also meant that different um, kind of economic levels were able to intermingle a lot more as well, which due to you know, the racism of this country, economic levels is also a good strata for uh, racial demographics, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So there is almost a de facto mingling of, of economic status, uh, status and strata, and that forced kind of a, uh, a kind of a racial mingling as well, which in Northern Virginia in 1960, 1961, you can imagine, or you should imagine, um, how, you know, Jim Crow was still applicable, even though it was illegal. Um, the schools were still segregated, even though it was illegal. Um, so this was a total radical mind shift to say, we don't want segregation. We're going to actually build our town that integrates different types of people. So just as like small examples of like land use that really kind of forced, you know, over the course of several decades, like a, a new formation of, a, of kind of just how people can like really be in a, in a single community together. Yeah. Um, well, I don't mean to like, yeah, go ahead. It's uh Jumping off of that, though, I think a lot of people look at you, uh, if, you know, for the people who know Galen and the biking community, and they think, oh, wow, of course he commutes everywhere. Like, he's a pro. He already knows how to do all this stuff, you know, just kind of like put you up here on this kind of pedestal or whatever. But I believe I remember coming, you know, you come from this nice planned community and then now you're in Boston and there's no bike lanes yet. And didn't you, weren't you on just like a beater bike that was like broken? Tell me a little bit about that, that transition to riding in college. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, okay. So just to everybody has to, to start so, somewhere is where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. And like, no doubt that Reston is not like an ideal place. And it, like when I was growing up in Reston, we didn't even have bike lanes, for instance, but we had pathways. So one of the concepts in Reston was that people should be able to be integrated with their ecology. So when they built the road network, they also built walking and biking paths that connect all the neighborhoods and go through the parks, which were also like public land and not like segregated out in terms of this is my fence. This is my, my land. You can't come there. That mm -hmm. doesn't exist in Reston pretty much. It's like all part of uh, the systems. And then when I came to Boston University, I was basically blown away with the fact that like there is only one mode mainly presented to people, which the sidewalks weren't even really like ADA accessible or, 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 you know, wheelchair accessible. You really were forced to drive if you wanted to kind of live in the Boston area. Um, and being a college student, of course, you have a car and you live in a con like very congested area. Um, but it felt so super dangerous just to be out on the road, mainly because everybody drove because everybody had to drive because there weren't presented options of you know other ways of really getting around um and this was 2002 2003 or something and um you know it was as a college student you get around by bike because you have no real other affordable option mm -hmm. and without having any messaging coming from the city or mass bike was an organization but it wasn't really you know working with bike lanes yet so it was the wild west so everybody was basically up to their own, riding on the sidewalks, riding with no lights, riding the wrong way. And there was no real um, control of that chaos. And I saw, actually, it wasn't Reston that really instilled into me the power that what 
could be, it was a trip to the Netherlands that I took as a sophomore junior, (laughs) right? And I looked around and I was like, holy, oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. And it was safe and you could be, you know, there were like people who were stoned biking and it was like not that dangerous. I was like, wait, (laughs) you're stoned and biking in Olsen, you're like really taking your life in your hands. But when you're doing it in the Netherlands, it's almost like part of the culture and the community. And I don't advocate that. I'm just saying that was a situation in which I saw. Of course. Of course. And then uh, when I came back to Boston, I was like, well, this was also when I was a... um, 19, 20, 21 year old, everybody wants to change the world, you know, with your Che Guevara t-shirt and your, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I was like, well, what's, what's an issue that we can actually practically move on? What, what can, what can I do as a relatively empowered white dude with an education and a seat of power because students actually have a lot of say in terms of university ethos and um, can actually get an the ear of the administration. So I decided literally it was kind of like a, a, a conscious decision one night. I was like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna go into prison abolition or am I gonna go into food rescue and help like the slow food movements on my buddies who are doing farms? And I was like, you know, biking is pretty much the worst around here. And we're starting <laughs> with nothing and we know what is possible. So let's just start agitating. And we agitated enough that Boston University got on board and asked the city of Boston and the first ever bike lane, the first bona fide real single white line door zone bike lane was put in from the BU bridge to Kenmore square. And uh, it, it, it moved mountains in order mm-hmm. to get that bike lane in. Uh, and, the, and the school was against it and the city was against it and the neighbors were, everybody was against it until we just kept harassing them for lack of a better word. And we had partners, Livable Streets Alliance was just getting formed. Um, we had some like local advocates who were really kind of helping, but because we were students, we were like, we, wait a minute, we, we can sit down with our school president and actually they have to take our call. (laughs) All you students out there who are listening, like you actually have the power. Um, they don't tell you that they don't want you to know that, but you Mm -mm. pay their salaries. Um, and so it was, it was a little bit less Laura about like, I want to be a biker. I want to like be able to ride a lot. And it was more like just my casual riding around on my crappy free Craigslist bike that had steel rims and no brakes in the rain. That's I where like, I was going, by the way, was yeah. that story about that bike. But, yeah. you know, everyone looks at him as the safety guy. He did not oh, ride man. on a very safe bike I to was, start with. I was, it was, I couldn't stop. And I was like, <laughs> it's, and this is the whole concept that like, I'm going to make mistakes out there because mm-hmm. I, I ride dangerously by, I'm forced to because I don't, don't have any money to buy a real bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we should build an environment that when I make a mistake, it doesn't cost me my life. Right. And that was the, the way we, we up-leveled that conversation. Yeah. All right. So we only have a few minutes left. I want to touch cool. on two last things. So just keep that in mind as you give your answers. One, talk to us just very high level about a few bike month things that are happening and then wrap up with what do you like to do outside of biking? Because we're more than just the people who advocate for bikes. That's right. Yeah, we don't want to be typecast. Mm-hmm. Um, happy to be a resource, but not not typecast. Okay. <laughs> so the so bike month is now. And by mm-hmm. now, I mean May. May mm-hmm. is bike month this year. We are in 2022. Um, it's It's been a challenge during COVID to decide to roll out a bike month because bike month 
historically is let's get together as community and have a bunch of in-person events that celebrate biking. Um, and Bike Month is a statewide, actually it's, it's a nationwide or even a worldwide movement, but we're focusing state because mass bike, we're state stuff. So we have on baystatebikemonth.org, it's our website, we have an aggregate calendar of, I think at this point we're up to about 80 or 90 events that are happening around Whoa. the state. Yeah. Um, and we, Mass Bike is not running these, by the way. These are run mm -hmm. by local groups, local communities. Um, Laura, I'm sure one of your events is on there. I know you're teaching I, some safety schools on there. I got to make sure all of my events are on there. I haven't looked at it yet. I did see that yeah. email though. Cool. Um, it's happening. And and the, the beauty of what Mass Bike does is we provide some resources in terms of, okay, well, uh, here's a how-to in case you want to do a bike breakfast or a group ride or, you know, the basics. We're happy mm -hmm. to like give you some templates. Uh, we'll provide a survey for you so you can get out and let people know like how your event's going and get some baseline data, which helps us as advocates. Um, if you need a t-shirt or if you want some leg bands, we'll mail you a bunch of leg bands. We'll mail you a bunch of stickers, like give out the swag. Um, but really it's up to you. It's up to the local. So anyway, long story short, from the Berkshires to Cape Cod, to Boston, to Central Mass, to the North Shore, like really all over the state, um, you can find something that's going on. And some of my highlights I'll mention, uh, we just got finished yesterday, and this is, we're recording on a Monday, so this was on a Sunday, which is May 1st. We were down in New Bedford, and we did mm -hmm. our bike month kickoff. Yeah, New Bedford. Um, and have you ever been riding in New Bedford? It is spectacular. So they have this it's it's um it's a combination of like department of defense and homeland security <laughs> infrastructure which is well beyond biking but it's the hurricane barriers so mm. when a hurricane comes up they like can close the harbor like literally they have these gates that close the harbor when there's like a storm surge um which so there's these huge raised crossings like that literally jut out in the middle of new bedford harbor and they're open for biking and walking so we led this great bike ride yesterday. It was like 80 people. We had the Star Chasers from New Bedford blasting mm -hmm. music on their tall bikes. Um, they're like the freak bikers, all like really fun and nerdy. And we had roadies and kids and tandem bikes. And I was out on a jam bike. So I was literally drumming while I was biking. And we had a long line of 80 people. And New Bedford has some amazing infrastructure called the Blue Lane, which is basically like their network of off-road pathways. And it was beautiful day you could pretty much reach out and touch martha's vineyard it was so crisp and clear right there uh we ended with a party at cisco brewing which had some music and lobster rolls and it was just like one of those like celebration in one of the most beautiful of of spaces of massachusetts and mm -hmm. i'm so excited about that um and then i'm gonna get back to boston and then this saturday i'll be out in pittsfield which is the exact opposite corner of the state <laughs> uh, out in the Berkshires. And I'll be riding on the newly opened Ash Wiltercook bike path. And they're doing a ribbon cutting out there. And the Ash Wiltercook is a north-south bike trail, basically cuts through the mountains. And, you know, going from one day celebrating riding and a hurricane barrier on the coast. <laughs> and the next day I'll be out like riding like beneath Mount Greylock and in the heart of the mountains of Western Mass. I think that's why I love Bike Month so much because we mm -hmm. have such an awesome state in Massachusetts. And so if you want an excuse to go ride wherever, like you've maybe never been there before, maybe you know it's the best place on earth to go ride, like there's probably a reason to go visit it during May. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we've got some social media that you can like win a prize if you tweet at Mass Bike, all the other like 
the, the hooks and bells and whistles that we try to incentivize to go out. But, you know, the real win is just really exploring the state by bike. And um, so, yeah, so with all that inspiration, I encourage all of you listeners out there to go to baystatebikemonth.org and uh, plug into all the stuff that's going on in May. All right. In the last like minute, and mm-hmm. I thank you very much for your time because I know it, it took us a little bit to schedule this. We're both very busy people. Um, yeah, tell, me, tell me uh, your favorite things to do outside of biking. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so what do I really like to do? Um, I like to make radio. Mm-hmm. Um, like honest to goodness, over the terrestrial FM dial radio. Mm-hmm. And you know this, Laura, because we were co-hosts on MIT's WMBR. Mm-hmm. Um, we were down in the studio back when the studio was open and we were jiving with people on our Yeah, I know. Uh, but, you know, I'm looking at you over Zoom, sad over Zoom, but still, but I see your microphone, I see your headphones, and I see like you are, you're getting this. I'm getting stuff. there. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of my favorite things to do is I've got two radio shows besides my bike stuff. Um, I've got a, a 90s themed one called the Clinton years. And that really helps me think about the cultural and socio and political and music life of a niche of the nineties. And every show it's a different niche. Um, and so I'm, we're going to be working tonight on, this is the 20th anniversary of the riot and uprising in LA, mm-hmm. which was in response to Rodney King, but really like tore the bandaid off of the racial tension of, the Korean and black communities and the police state of LA. So I get to focus a little bit on some of that stuff and I'm going to explore it through the politics and the music and the TV broadcast. So like, I really, I'm an anthropologist by heart, really. And that's, <laughs> you know, kind of how I like to explore it through like soundscape. And then I get to present it over the terrestrial FM on WMBR. So I think, I think making radio and kind of telling the human story um, is kind of part of one of my passions that biking overlaps with, but, you know, it's totally separate. Yeah. I associate you a lot with music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my other show is my punk rock show, which is 10 to noon on Fridays on 88.1 FM. So if you ever want to tune in and listen to something a little bit louder, uh, it's called the Late <laughs> Rises Club. I'm uh, one of the weekly DJs. So we were on every single weekday. I'm on Fridays. But, uh, but yeah, so that's also, you know, every time I get done making a show, which is exhausting to do it as a pre-record, like in my home, yeah. I feel like I listen back to it and I'm like, Damn, that was fun. (laughs) I get that. I totally get that. Uh, Well, Galen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for doing this for me. And this will be out this Thursday-ish, if I can get it out on time. Podcasts have that nice little buffer of timing um, versus live radio. So, you know. (laughs) I I miss the live radio with you, Laura. I will say. it was Someday. Someday we'll go back. We had some good days. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, we'll keep uh, it up and um, proud to support you. And, um, you know, rubber side down. Let's keep that rubber Gotta side keep down. that rubber side down. Night, Galen. All right, goodbye. Thanks. Welcome back, Yari, for the game. Hey, I'm excited for this. <laughs> uh, so in honor of our discussion earlier about how to ride it, how to lead a successful group ride, um, I thought it would be fun to talk about how to avoid being that rider. And for those of you who can't see me, um, those big air quotes around that rider. And that's that person who just is always kind of not that much fun on a ride for various reasons. So we will, 
go through a couple of quote unquote don'ts, um, but I'm going to give you multiple choice and you tell me which one is the don't that you shouldn't be doing on the ride. So let me make this really easy for you. <laughs> hilarious. Go ahead. <laughs> so number one, should you, uh, show up uh, and I'm going to say it as like, should you, and we'll talk about it being the don't, but it's just easier to frame in my head as I give you multiple choice. Yeah. Should you show up uh, ahead of the ride with all the stuff that you need, um, right as the ride is getting ready to leave, but you have all of your stuff or show up kind of late and unprepared. Show up late and unprepared is the <laughs> thing that you should not do. Exactly. Um, you should always try to, and I, I will preface this as a ride leader. I am not the best at being on time, but I usually try to give like a good window of like when to show up. Um, but yeah, you want to make sure you're there and you have all the supplies that you need, right? Like have a tube with you. Hopefully someone will have tools or a pump if you can't, if you don't have those yet, but at least have like a tube for your bike and water. Water is a good one to have. Yes. Because in the yeah, stopping for water, it's just, it's just going to hold up the ride. So yeah, always bring yeah. water or a snack too. Mm-hmm. You made a good point with the last question. We're going to call them should nots versus should, because that makes a lot more sense. So, so, so for this one, we're talking about two people riding, you have a bike in front of you and you're behind them. Should you not have your wheel completely clear of them and off the back? Um, or should you not have your wheel kind of next to and half kind of near their wheel past where they might turn. I'm just going to give you two options on that one. Uh, I'm going to go with the second option because that sounds really dangerous. Mm -hmm. and it's happened to me many times. Luckily I haven't fallen yet. That, yeah. But that sounds really dangerous when you're too close to another wheel next to it or behind it is mm -hmm. always a bad idea because somebody can just break or turn <laughs> and it's going down. Exactly. And I think there's something really important with this one too, for people to understand, which is the physics of how, um, your bike works. So the person in front of you, uh, their rear wheel, if it knocks something is unlikely to knock them over, but your front wheel is your steering. And so if you bring, and it's probably your fault if your wheel is kind of past their back wheel, um, if they turn and they knock your front wheel, that's going to disrupt your steering and be more likely for you to fall versus them to fall. It's something I see with kids a lot. Usually that you want to be really careful, but I like to say like, don't cross your wheels. Don't cross your streams, you know, kind of like a mild ghostbusters <laughs> comment, right. but exactly. Uh, uh, cool. So for the next one, um, to not be that rider, do you want to not, uh, you know, just sprint away at the, when the second, the light turns green, even though the leader is still at the red light, or do you not want to be just like in the back, keeping your spot in line and not trying to get around everybody else of a sudden you, you don't want to sprint away ahead of the, the leader. Yeah. So that's always <laughs> a bad idea. If a leader to me, it's like, if you're leading the ride, you should be in the front of the pack. Mm -hmm. Let the person lead the ride. Don't go ahead of the, of the leader because the, what that does is confuse the rest of the pack 
thinking that we're going a different route or like I noticed faster speed or faster speed or like we're turning somewhere. It's just confusing. If people know who the leader is, they're just going to follow, you know, the exact path that that person's taking. Yeah, exactly. And you see it sometimes with group rides where, uh, you know, this would happen with bike party where there'd be people, uh, sometimes we'd let like the wheelie kids do tricks up ahead. And then other people in the ride would try to go up ahead with them. And we're like, no, 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 you guys stay behind the leader. Cause then they'd miss the next turn. <laughs> All right. Um, for this, so there's two left this next one. Should you stop at the red light or should you run through the red light? You should stop at a red light. Mm-hmm. And this and is a- for, the re- for the rest of the pack. Again, if you can go on green, yeah. the rest of the pack together, th- I guarantee you that will keep the group ride just smoother. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if you go through a red light, you're only breaking up the pack. Some people are going to follow you. Yep, exactly. And uh, okay. a, a good trick is to look at the walk signals. If you can see that the walk signal is counting down and it's only has a couple of seconds left preemptively slow down. Even if the light is still green in front of you, cause you know, it's about to change. Uh, so just like little things like that can help make a ride a lot smoother and keep everyone together. And then finally, this one's, you know, this one's a tricky one. Do <laughs> you keep the group safe and ride like a, you know, nice predictable way and keep everybody together? Or do you do something that's going to endanger the whole group, like going through a red light or going around a car unexpectedly or filtering up when no one's asking you to? Yeah, I just, I'm going to go. The, the <laughs> should, I give you the should not, right? Uh, I kind of switched it up, but you know what the right answer is. Yeah, the right answer is safety first. Yeah. So make sure that, you know, as, as always keep safety, make sure that like everyone is together and, uh, it's what it's well organized that way. Um, yeah, going through red lights or stop signs or in front of cars or in the middle of like traffic, this is never a good idea. Ever. Yeah. I think the important thing to remember is, uh, it's not just you, you are part of a pack and that pack is affected by the things that you do. So, you know, the way I ride solo and the way I ride when I'm in a group or leading a group is very Very different. different. Uh, but you did it. You won the game. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Thank you. These were actually really easy. It's like almost like, you know, when you take multiple choice and it gives you like the answer and it's like circled already. That's it. (laughs) Just for everybody listening. She was like, I don't know if I have to do the game that was on last one. I can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, I got you. I got you. You know why? Because you were asking (laughs) facts like, 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 I don't know, like who was the first cyclist in Massachusetts? And I I would literally fail. (laughs) 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 To not know. I don't know those facts. I'm yeah. here to set you up for success. Don't <laughs> worry. This is an uh, easy game. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to get on Zoom with me this evening. Um, we're going to ride together probably this weekend, if not, yeah, you yeah. know, next week. So I will get to see you again soon. And I probably already plugged it. I don't know because I haven't recorded my intro yet, but while I have you, uh, cause I normally after this segment, talk about upcoming rides, 
what do we have coming up together? Yay. Okay. So yes, Laura and I are organizing, we're partnering with REI um, and we are the, um, well, REI is the official sponsors of uh, two group rides that we're hosting this summer. One is going to be on Friday, May 20th, starting Mm -hmm. from the Fenway location. And then um, Thursday, June 23rd, starting from the Cambridge REI location. So all of those details are in Women on Wheels bio. If you want to go on there, click on the link and sign up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of people already. Right? We have a lot of people signed up. It will also be in the show notes today. Um, and we've been posting about it on our socials. Uh, but every like couple of hours, I see a new reserv- that reservation RSVP come through. So uh, get it. it while it's hot. Make sure you get in there because we do have a limited amount of spaces, but I'm very excited to be leading yeah, this ride is with gonna you. Be, it's going to be awesome. And I think what what's most exciting for me is the social part afterwards, mm-hmm. because you know that sometimes after bike rides, you're done and then you go home. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get a chance to talk to people. But this time, once we're done with the ride, we're going to have a little social mingling with one another. And so we mm-hmm. just get to meet new cyclists in the city. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. I'll see you soon in person, um, but I appreciate you getting on with me this evening. No, thank you for having me again. That's a wrap on episode 12, folks. Uh, as a reminder, there are a ton of rides coming up. It's May, and May is the best. It's bike month. Lots to do. So check again the show notes to find the link to a fully, hopefully mostly comprehensive list of all of the rides happening. And if you're doing a ride, make sure to add it there. Um, also, as I said, the RSVPs are maxed out for my, uh, excuse me, for my May REI ride. However, um, hopefully if we can get some people to update, if they can't come, there might be some open slots uh, the days leading up to it. Otherwise, we have a second event in June. So please keep a lookout for that. Um, and I think that's all of the wrap ups. Thank you to Galen Mook and Yari De Jesus uh, for coming on the show with me again today. Um, your support means the world to me. So thank you so much. Um, the theme and music is by the extremely talented Kate Hardley. Her album West is available again. I've listened. It's awesome at katehardley.bandcamp.com. The podcast is hosted, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Laura Jillian, with an honorable mention to Watson, the bike dog, for his contributions throughout the show. For more information about the show and biking, you can visit my website, randonista.com, and follow my adventures in biking and more behind the scenes of the pod at randonista on Instagram, randonista on YouTube, and Watson's biking adventures at Watson, the bike dog on Instagram. If you like the show, please rate and review it in your podcast app of choice. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, your Watson moment. Back to the station. Uh, how do I explain? Learn to ride workshop. Oh, shit. Um, I'll just give him a second. Okay. Yeah, someone's coming in. Yeah, it's just really make my call. You just need the second to that. It's just straight down.